millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Pole Position History Hack. Today we have Mark Kramer with us, who is the Director of Cold War Studies Program at Harvard University. He specializes in Cold War international relations, predominantly in the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe. He has also written over 200 articles and many, many books on the subject. Hi, Mark. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. We're here to talk about about Solidarność because you are plugging a massive, massive gap. And I have been dying for someone who is out of the box. Not World War II because I have a long list of those people. Let's talk about Solidarność. So we'll do a bit of background history. So what was life like in Poland in the communist period? Because it changed over time, didn't it? Um, Poland went through several periods that varied in the repressiveness. Um, the worst phase by far was during the Stalinist period, and that was roughly from uh, 1947-48 through um, the after even after Stalin's death. Um, he died in March of 1953. That was the Soviet leader who was in power in the Soviet Union for about a quarter century. But during the first um, close to uh, two decades of his rule, Poland wasn't a communist uh, country. It fell under communist rule after the Second World War. Poland had been, had fought against the Germans from the very start, yet the Soviet Union treated Poland as though it had been a, um, a, a enemy country. From the very start, Soviet troops moved into Poland in 1939, as you know, um, and uh, divided up the country with Germany. And over the next uh, 20 months or so, Soviet troops brutally occupied Poland. After the war, uh, Soviet troops were still deployed in Poland and by 1947 or so, um, Poland had fallen under what was more or less uh, clearly a communist system. During the Stalinist phase of Poland's communist system, it was very repressive. Uh, there were even instances where Catholic Church came under harsh uh, persecution. There were bishops who were imprisoned. Poland Probably, I would say, but compared to some other countries in the region like Hungary, Bulgaria, Slovakia, it was a severe a Stalinist phase, but it was very repressive. After Stalin's death, it continued to be quite repressive in Poland because 
the Polish leader, the Stalinist leader in Poland, Bierut, Bolesław Bierut, was still there. Um, he died, though, <laughs> a stroke of good fortune in February uh, or early, I think it was actually late February of 1956. It was just after Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev had given a secret speech denouncing Stalin. Um, and it may have been, it probably wasn't in connection with that, but it certainly was the same, um, same time frame that Guru died. He, he was present uh, for the meeting at which that secret speech was, was read out by Khrushchev, but, um, but it, pro it seems to have been that he had a heart condition that brought about his demise. So after he, was, after he um, left the scene, there was a period of some liberalization in Poland, especially in 1956. And there re-emerged um, a leader who had been there during the Stalinist period, Gomułka, who um, was seen very widely in Poland as someone who had stood against Stalin. That's probably a little overstated, but, it, uh, but still, it, 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 there's no question he had been persecuted himself during the Stalinist period. But Gomulka, after being quite popular in his first year or so, began moving in a much more repressive direction. And by the late 60s, he uh, was facing numerous challenges to his rule, both popular unrest and challenges from within the Communist Party. And so uh, in December 1970, and that is a crucial date because it is important to bear in mind when thinking about Billy Darnash, is December 1970, worker unrest broke out in uh, three main, particularly Gdansk and Gdynia on Poland's northern coast, the, the uh, Baltic coast. And Gomulka uh, gave the order through the then defense minister, General Yaroselsky, and his name will come back uh, soon, is um, that uh, Gamulka gave the order to open for the army to open fire on the striking workers. They were striking in reaction to uh, increases in food prices. And uh, the army did open fire and killed. Um, it was one of the bloodiest incidents in Poland's post-war history. Um, they, they killed 40-odd uh, workers, and I think it was uh, 43 workers. And the, um, that shocked the country and precipitated a crisis in Poland that led to Gomułka's downfall. Now, over the next decade, from um, after he was ousted uh, in, in, at the end of 1970, um, over the next decade, Poland enjoyed... Some, um, I mean, again, it was still a repressive dictatorship, but it was more liberal than most of the other Soviet bloc countries. And it, there was also a um, heavily borrow, a very heavy borrowing that led to consumer goods that had previously been unavailable in Poland. This was under uh, Gamulka's successor, Edvard Gierek. And um, by the problem, though, was that these, um, the borrowing that allowed this increase in consumption 
really mounted and there was increasing economic pressure on Poland uh, by the late 70s and particularly in 1979 and 1980. And the economic crisis that resulted really precipitated the rise of Solidar National. So that's what we're going to concentrate on today. We're going to concentrate on more about the 70s and the 80s. But I want to, before we do start talking about Solidarność, I wanted to talk about something that shook the foundations of communist rule. And that was the appointment of Karol Wojtyła as Pope John Paul II in 78. How does this affect Poland and the Poles? Profoundly, there is no question. Um, of all events that happened in the 1970s, there were probably, besides December of 1970, there were really two events I would single out. One of these was in June 1976, when there were new strikes against the communist regime. And in this case, um, Garrick gave in fairly quickly. He didn't want a repetition of the bloodshed that had happened in December 1970. The other event was in 1978, as you mentioned, with the appointment of Karol Wojtyla, who was the... Um, who had been a well-known cleric in Poland, but suddenly he was elevated to world fame by being, being appointed Pope and took on the name Pope John Paul II. Um, that was immediately recognized by the communist authorities in Poland and by the Soviet um, authorities to be, from their perspective, a very troubling step because they understood that given the importance of the Catholic Church in Poland, that um, the appointment of a Polish Pope would far-reaching repercussions, and of course it did prove to be. I should note that uh, down in this period, the Catholic Church in Poland had been quite harshly persecuted. After that, particularly when Gomułka came in, uh, there had been much greater tolerance of the Catholic Church. It still was under tight control, but it was given much greater leeway in Poland than uh, religious denominations in other Soviet bloc countries. And the history of the Catholic Church, the, the um, identi uh, identification of it with Poland as a nation, ensured that it would have a very important place in a country that was living under a dictatorship because many clerics uh, were willing to take some, at least some stand against the communist regime. There were, uh, you know, there was a significant number who collaborated with the communist regime. It's now clear from archives that about 15% of Polish priests were actually um, informing on their parishioners to the Polish state security organs. But, um, but a good number, certainly a majority of Polish priests, started as their mission to try to preserve Poland at a time when it was under dictatorship. And so the elevation of Karol Wojtyla to become Pope John Paul II was bound to have far-reaching uh, far repercussions. And Polish and uh, Soviet communist leaders understood that from the beginning. So let's talk about Solidarność or the Solidarity Movement. So when people actually talk about it, you instantly think of the Gdańsk shipyard strikes, because I know I, know I do. That is the first thing I think of. 
But the movement actually began much earlier than that, didn't it? Can you give us an overview? Oh, sure. I, 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 yes, yes, absolutely. It had its roots in December 1970, there's no question. Almost every significant leader in Solidarność had been involved in the December 1970 strikes. Um, you know, all of the well-known figures, as well as some who weren't so well-known, uh, including you know, uh, Valenza, uh, Anna Valentinovich, and, and many others. Um, it was, Solidarność was a workers' movement first and foremost, and there were intellectuals who had, uh, who became attached to Solidarność, but they, the organization itself was predominantly a workers' movement in its origins, and it has sometimes, I think, been wrongly um, depicted as having been the product of intellectuals whose role was important, but it, they weren't the originators of it. This stemmed from the workers, again, mostly on Poland's Baltic coast initially. And so uh, in July of 1980, there were, again, food prices, you know, food price increases, which is very dangerous thing in Poland during the communist period. And uh, they led repeatedly to worker unrest. And again, it happened in July of 1980. So there were uh, a growing number of strikes in Poland um, in July and into August. But by far the largest of these was at the, the Lenin shipyard in Gdansk. And that is the... Uh, site of the of the momentous strikes that you've mentioned, including the one at which Lefkowitz jumped over the shipyard fence. Well, you mentioned Lefkowitz just now, so let's talk about him. What do, what actual role does he play in all of this? He, um, you know, again, I think uh, nowadays his reputation in Poland is somewhat mixed um, for two main reasons, but uh, certainly in 1980 and 81, he played an overwhelmingly positive role. Um, I'll get to the two reasons that his reputation is in a second. But let me just start. He had been, again, one of the major figures in the December 1970 unrest. And so by 1980, when he uh, came to lead the strikes at the Lenin shipyard, he wasn't the only one by any means, but um, certainly came to be the best known in the West in particular, but also did to a large degree in Poland. And uh, he was the one who tried to keep Solidarność peaceful throughout because he knew that if it turned violent, that there would be a very bad outcome. Um, so he was one of the more moderate figures, but uh, moderate in this context means still someone who's pressing for very far-reaching liberalization. And uh, Valenza was, um, however, as we now know, this, this was found out only much later, um, after communism ended. It was found in uh, the state security records in the, um, in the, the former uh, communist state security organs that Valenza had been pressured in late 1970 to providing information about some of his colleagues. And he did that for several years. He stopped well before 1980. It was no later than 
1974 or 75 that he stopped. But during those years, the, um, he was providing information on several of his colleagues um, who had taken part in the worker unrest. And the, um, that, uh, because he had done that, it gave the communist authorities in 1980, 1981, unfounded confidence that he would, in fact, um, be, be, that they could blackmail him. And, and he, he resisted that very courageously, in my view, um, even if earlier you could look on his role in a negative light. In 1980-81, he behaved admirably, and that remained the case throughout the 1980s. He never succumbed to the pressure that the communist authorities were trying to place on him and to blackmail him. But when it became, uh, when it was disclosed, at, well, I'll wait till, uh, till we get to the question of the legacy. Um, I, I just wanted to mention, though, that that had been in his past. It wasn't known in 1980 and 81, however, that he had done that. And that's why he played um, a leading role in uh, the whole crisis in 1980-81. I think it's important because it is something I'm assuming um, some of our Polish listeners are going to want to know. Because there's sure, all sorts sure. of things flying out about about him. And you're never sure. sure. No, there, there, it, it's why there is a very mixed view of Valenza nowadays, that he's not, he's looked on much more positively in the West, including the United States, than he is in Poland. Um, he was, Valenza was in the United States. I was on a panel with him last November um, in uh, San Francisco, and uh, there was a convention there, and so he and I were on a panel there, and he, um, you know, was, was, overwhelmingly favorably received there. And I think he really liked being there, you know, where people treated him as a hero. Um, you know, he still looked on positively in Poland, but in a very much more mixed way. Um, and, and again, there's another reason for that too, which has to do with his president. Do you know what? It's, it's answered some questions. So hopefully our listeners uh, have gotten their answers from that. But solidarity does, you mentioned previously that solidarity makes the move from trade union to a social movement. Can you tell us more about how that happens? Um, again, the, um, the organization that became known as Solidarność uh, had several proposed names initially, you know, the Independent Free Trade Union, um, numerous others, and it took on NSZ uh, Solidarność ultimately which has to refers to that uh, independent, free independent trade union. Um, the, the organization, though, emerged, you know, they were calling for free trade unions. That had been a demand in December 1970. And so when workers began going on strike in uh, July and especially August 1970, they um, revived that demand. And so workers in the Lenin shipyard at Gdansk uh, were determined to stay in the shipyard until they got that demand fulfilled. But it was very evident um, shortly after they, that strike ended in success and the communist authorities were forced to back down that 
Solidarność was taking on national popularity and gaining branches and affiliates all through the country. So within a very short time, Solidarność had close to 10 million members, which at that time was about half the adult population in Poland. So, you know, that's no longer a trade move, <laughs> trade union. That's a social movement. And um, even as a social movement, it was quite remarkable. It's one of the, probably the most remarkable social development in um, any Soviet bloc country from the 1940s on. And there is nothing like it anywhere else in Eastern Europe. And um, it, it really became an alternative political force. It would disavow its intentions to try to gain power in the country, but it was very evident from an early stage that Solidarność had that potential. It was evident to the communist authorities too. They were constantly worried about it and they certainly wanted to counter it and to undermine it. And more importantly, the communist authority in Poland, um, Derek was forced to resign in the face of the protests and he was replaced by Stanisław Kanya. Um, Kanya was uh, an interesting figure in some ways, even though he was one of, you know, many Poles regarded him as incredibly boring, but he um, held out against a violent crackdown in Poland for the next, close to a year before he was finally replaced by General Wojciech Jaruzelski. But, um, but uh, Kanye did not want to accommodate Solidarność in a lasting way. He thought that a temporary compromise could be reached, uh, but he, he too, like other Polish communists, wanted to undermine Solidarność. So the, um, the regime it was, was unquestionably um, had a hostile attitude towards Solidarność, but the overwhelming majority of Poles looked on it reverentially, at least at the beginning. The support for Solidarność varied over time. One of the consequences of being a social movement was that you suddenly take on responsibility for certain things that weren't entirely your fault. Uh, for example, the economic crisis that had begun in Poland in the late 1970s deepened even further in 1980 and 81. One of the results of the strikes in Poland, which continued through into 1981, is that um, work isn't being done and that in turn deepens the uh, economic hardships for many. So over time, um, the support for Solidarność diminished somewhat because of the continued economic misery. But still, most people uh, looked on it positively enough from a political standpoint at least, that they were still um, strongly supportive of it even though they resented the economic, um, the continued economic travails they were suffering. That statistic is stuck in my mind, 10 million people. I mean, um, I just had a look and New York has a population of about 8.3, New York City, 8.3 million people. London, just under 9 million. I mean, this is like literally a whole city of people 
there were there were branches of Solidarność all around Poland, you know, in, in places that you never would have thought would have them. You know, they suddenly became strongholds of Solidarność. There was no way, no place in Poland where there weren't branches, and and that was both a strength and a weakness of Solidarność. There were there were some of the branches became quite radical, and would you know, were pressing in some cases even for violent action, which um, was to some extent a little bit helpful for uh, Valencia because he could present himself to the authorities as the only one who could um, stick with a peaceful approach and could push for a true compromise. Um, but in other respects, it was uh, detrimental to Valencia because it, you know, he constantly had to be mindful that there were these radicals who would push for much more drastic action. It, it wasn't an easy situation for him. Overall, he handled it well, but it was a very difficult time. So the result of Solidarność, of the movement, meant that martial law came in place, <clears throat> sorry, came into force. And can you tell us a bit more what happened during martial law and how were everyday Poles affected by it and how did it affect the solidarity movement? Sure. Um, the first thing to note about this is that the Polish communist leaders weren't operating on their own either. They uh, had constant pressure from the Soviet Union. Soviet leaders were unremittingly hostile towards Solidarność from the very beginning, and they put relentless pressure on Kanya and Jaruzelski to crack down. Um, they wanted an internal solution. Ideally, they wanted Polish leaders to impose martial law, but the Soviet Union uh, mobilized troops as early as the 26th of August, 1980. For the, the phrase was, quote, in case military assistance is provided to Poland. And that meant outright military intervention. Um, if it had happened, it would have been a disaster. So the, the preference in Moscow always was to have the Polish leaders do it themselves. Um, the problem, though, was to get them actually to do it. And that's what stretched out over a period of uh, about 16 months when Poland was engulfed in unrest, but uh, was the crisis dragged on without resolution. So uh, Kanye was forced out in October 1980, uh, 1981 under Soviet pressure, and the figure who came in to replace him was who had been already prime minister and defense minister and took on the new role of the first secretary of the uh, Communist Party was General Wojciech Jaruzelski. Jaruzelski um, was, well, he himself feared that martial law would lead to thousands of deaths, but he, under Soviet pressure, did in fact impose it. It proved to be carried out with surprisingly little bloodshed. There were, there were about 45 people killed, but given the projections beforehand by the communist regime itself that they expected thousands dead, the 45 represented a remarkably smooth imposition of martial law, even if it was tragic in 
consequences, not only for those killed, but for many Poles who were suddenly imposed under a repressive state of military rule. And martial law, which took effect on the 13th of December, 1981, Jaruzelski appeared on Polish television early in the morning and announced the state of Stanwajeni, or, you know, what uh, would be called martial law here. It doesn't quite translate that way, but that's basically what it amounted to. There, there were reasons, you know, there was a lot of deliberation beforehand about what they should call it, whether they should call it a state of emergency or a military condition, as it was eventually called. But, um, but it, they all amounted to martial law. So from 13th of December 1981 until July 1983, Poland was effectively under military ro- rule, even though the Communist Party continued normally to be the ruling party. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So, as you mentioned, in 83, martial laws lifted. What happens to the Solidarity Movement? Solidarity had been outlawed when martial law was imposed, and and thousands of uh, Solidarity leaders were were, uh, arrested. In fact, that was one of the um, miscues of uh, the Solidarity. Solidarity had been holding a conference, and many of them were all in the same play. So on the Night of the 12th and 13th, there were close to 6,000 arrested. And that meant that uh, Solidarity, there were still some who were loose, but the large majority were arrested. And that meant that um, the that Solidarność was decapitated and to a large extent uh, crushed. Not fully, there continued to be an underground network in that as martial law progressed, um, that underground network gained strength, especially as some of the activists were released from prison. So the, um, by July 1983, when martial law was, was lifted, there was still an underground, you know, that underground network was there, but it was a small shadow of what Solidarność had been during the 1980-81 period. 
and the uh, Western governments and uh, a lot of Western trade unions did try to provide aid to Solidarność quite successfully for the most part, but again, there was, there was only so much they could do to try to sustain this network. Nonetheless, it did remain in place and there were periodic protests. I witnessed one of these um, in which the, there were special anti-riot troops called out to crush a pro-Solidarność um, demonstration in uh, 1984, and, uh, and again in uh, major demonstrations in 1985 and 86. So there was definitely growing ferment in Poland uh, after martial law was lifted, but still the authorities, um, the same authorities who had imposed martial law were still there. Jaruzelski was still leader of the country, General Kishchak, who, who was the Minister of Internal Affairs, who had imposed martial law, still later, Shivitsky, uh, Florian Shivitsky, uh, who, who had been the Army Chief of Staff. Um, so they were all still there, and that meant that you still had people who were determined to keep Solidarność from, uh, from being re-legalized and from returning to what that had been. Um, the situation, however, was drastically transformed by changes that began in the Soviet Union in 1985. And so over the next few years, as change under Mikhail Gorbachev in the Soviet Union began to uh, move rapidly ahead, um, that it meant that the situation became much more fluid for Poland. Solidarność was still um, illegal in Poland, but increasingly the former activists of Solidarność, including Lefkowitz, um, were willing to act quite boldly. And that led to the turning point in 1988. Before we reach 1988, I really believe this man deserves a mention in our podcast um, because I find his story really interesting and really important. So where does Father Jerzy Popiuszko fall into this narrative? Uh, Jerzy Popiuszko is a revered uh, figure in Poland to this day. Um, I will just briefly, he's a very interesting figure. There are quite a few books. Unfortunately, not really a good one in uh, uh, English, but, but there are several good books in Polish about him. He, um, he was a Catholic priest who was well known to be staunchly anti-communist. He, he had um, mixed his uh, sermons with, in, in his parish, mixed his sermons with quite strong political statements. And he was, um, his sermons were distributed to a lot of Western shortwave radio stations like Radio Free Europe and BBC. Um, and the, so they were broadcast uh, much more widely in Poland than just in his parish. And he became um, deeply popular in many quarters in Poland for his strong stance against communist regime during the martial law period. Um, in 1984, the state security, this, it, it, by all indications, this was done without the authorization of the top of the um, It does seem that this was an unauthorized action, but the state security in Poland 
uh, took action to try to murder Papalushka. And they initially tried to do that by setting him up in a car accident. Um, that didn't succeed. So uh, three state security agents kidnapped him and beat him to death quite savagely. Uh, it was a very disturbing crime scene when his body was found. There was blood all over, so much blood that they had a difficult time trying to figure out exactly what had happened. So it, uh, it wasn't until a couple of months later when um, it, uh, I should add, his murder led to outrage in Poland, um, even among a lot of communists, um, that uh, they were outraged that such an incident had been allowed to happen. And in December uh, uh, 1984, when Papiushko was, uh, Papiushko's funeral took place, there were hundreds of thousands of people who came out for it. And that, um, and of course, Pope John Paul II at this time made um, very prominent statements about it. So it, it intensified the ferment in Poland and led eventually to a position of Papiuszko in Poland that is most equivalent to that of Pope John Paul II. Uh, in 2010, I think it was, it was about a decade ago that uh, Papiuszko was beatified. Not, not Pope John Paul II was dead by then, but uh, it was Pope Benedict who beatified him. So there is a shrine for him now in Poland, and many Poles, many Polish school children go to visit it. It's it's hard to convey the importance of him in Polish culture nowadays, just as it was during, uh, just as he was during the communist period. Yeah, I thought he was an incredible man, and he definitely deserved a moment in this podcast because I know a couple of my friends would be very angry if I didn't mention him. But. Sure. Um, we already discussed 1985 very briefly about Gorbachev, but you very briefly also mentioned the strikes that started in 1988. Why did they start in 1988, and what were the results? Well, this is, yeah, there, there were there were two major phases of strikes in Poland in the in the spring and then again in the summer. They were somewhat separate, but they um, were widespread strikes in Poland and. The problem in Poland had been that martial law didn't, it, it did bring greater stability to Poland. Um, so there was, uh, with, with a great deal of Soviet assistance, there was some economic stabilization, but the basic crisis and the enormous debt, foreign debts that Poland had weren't uh, remediated at all by martial law. So um, economic conditions, even as, um, politic, the political situation began to loosen, and, and particularly the change in the Soviet Union caused many Poles to think that they too had much greater leeway to press for change. That um, it, it came at the same time that economic conditions were still miserable. So that's what led quite directly that combination of the sense of increasing political opportunities but continued economic misery gave rise to those waves of strikes in, uh, in the spring and summer. And Valencia emerged as quite, again, a prominent figure at that point in pushing 
for the communist authorities to make major concessions. So how does how do these strikes, I mean, how does all of this lead to the fall of the Communist Party in Poland? The uh, communist authorities did not want to reach a meaningful compromise with Solidarność. They knew they had to seek some form of a coup. And they were hoping, though, the Soviet Union would back them up and tell them they couldn't give Solidarność any meaningful political role. The problem was that uh, Polish communists didn't count on the fact that the Soviet, Soviet Union under Gorbachev, the calculus had changed fundamentally. So instead of backing up the Polish communists, they just told them that they would have to reach a compromise. The Soviet authorities told the Poles they would have to reach a uh, some form of accord with Solidarność and that they would just have to seek the best they could. Now at this time, Solidarność was still illegal in Poland, but the fact that it was emerging as a direct negotiating partner with the government, and that led in late uh, in uh, the later months of 1988 to um, reach an agreement on the holding of roundtable talks. Those roundtable talks, which numerous well-known figures of Solidarność, including Valencia, but also many others, you know, say this included figures who are still prominent in Poland today, um, the, uh, Yaroslav Kaczynski, but particularly his brother, Lech Kaczynski, um, were involved in the roundtable talks. Many others, Jacek Kuren, um, Renisov Geremek, uh, Geremek, who, um, again, all both of those are now dead. Kuren and Geremek are now dead, but uh, very well-known political figures after the demise of communism in Poland. And uh, they all took part on solidarity side um, in the roundtable talks. Those roundtable talks, which began in early uh, 1989 and led in April, uh, you know, in other words, fairly quickly to an accord on holding partly free um, parliamentary elections in Poland those elections were held on 4th of June 1989, which happened to be the same day that a strikingly different event happened, which was the brutal crackdown by the Chinese communists on mass protests in Beijing, uh, killing many hundreds of people and leading to the reimposition of repressive communist dictatorship in China. Fortunately, the situation worked out fundamentally better in Poland that the partly free elections in Poland. I mentioned partly free because Solidarność was allowed to contest only um, a fraction, you know, a relatively small fraction of the seats, but there was a large enough fraction in the lower house, the same, that they were able to achieve a resounding victory, overwhelming victory. And then there was a new upper house created, the, uh, the Senate, in which solidarity, uh, solidarity won everything. So the, um, that uh, it was, uh, was, you know, it, was a, it was such a decisive victory that it was a humiliation for the communists. And the day after elections, they barely knew what to do. They were hoping that the Soviet Union would, would again 
um, intervene as it had in 1981. But in this case, it was just the opposite, that when Yaruzelsky approached um, Moscow about what he should do, they said, uh, this is for Poles to decide. So it was increasing pressure over from the 4th of June on through the summer of 19, uh, 1989, there was increasing pressure on the Polish government to allow solidarity to take charge of the government. And again, Jaruzelski very reluctantly agreed to that. He kept on trying to find excuses to avoid it. But in uh, August 1989, a new prime minister, Tadeusz Mazowiecki, who um, was, a, again, a very prominent figure in Solidarność, um, took office as prime minister. Valenza um, did not take a direct role in the government at that point, but he remained the leader of Solidarność. So that was not a final end of communism because Jaruzelski continued to be a newly in a newly created office of president until um, well into 1990. And General Kishchak, continued to be, uh, be the Minister of Internal Affairs until the summer of 1990. But, um, but it was pretty clear after the summer of 1989 that communism was done in Poland. And the uh, changes that occurred elsewhere in Eastern Europe in the final few months of 1989 reinforced that enormously. So by the end of 1989, no one had any doubt that communism Wow, thank you for that. That's um, perfect in a nutshell, because um, it can get a little bit complex trying to understand what actually happened in the, the past few years uh, in the 80s. And thank you. That makes so much more sense now. So now we have a free Poland. Obviously, the legacy of solidarity is still there. But can you tell us a little bit more about what, what the legacy actually is still about 40 years later? Um, Solidarność survived for a little while after um, communism ended in Poland. Uh, the, it existed as a recognizable organization through the early 1990s, particularly um, through around 1993 when Hanna Sukotka's government um, was in power. But, but before that too, Jaruzelski um, had to give way as a, uh, as Polish president in summer of 1990, and then there were elections held in December of 1990, and uh, Valenza won that election as uh, to be president of Poland. So the basically the first non-communist president of independent Poland. And the unfortunate uh, thing, though, was that Valenza didn't do a particularly good job as, as president. He wasn't really well-suited for the office, and he engaged in some activities that are quite questionable about, particularly in trying to use the intelligence service to tamper with his own files to try to get rid of the incriminating evidence that was there about his role as an informant in the 1970s. Um, beyond that, though, Solidarność quite quickly began to fracture. And so some people who had been close allies, you know, Lech Kaczynski had been a close advisor of Valenza, 
they had a bitter falling out and so did Avanza with uh, Anna Valentinovich who had been the um, very small um, but courageous um, female worker in the in the shipyard back in 1980 who had um, who's uh, had been fired by the communist authorities and there was a demand for her return that really helped to steal the workers there in resisting the, um, the regime's attempt to crack down. And so she too was a renowned figure in Poland. Um, she really never took a, a, uh, a clear role in Poland, but she also had a bitter falling out with Bonnie. Some of this was purely political, that they had different views of um, what Poland should be. Um, certainly Kaczynski and Valentinovich had a much more conservative view, um, broadly described. I hesitate to categorize it in that way, but it, it is somewhat, of, uh, somewhat along those lines of a more uh, a looser, a more liberal orientation versus a much tighter, more conservative orientation. Um, so some of it, the split uh, had to do with that, but there were, there were emerging f um, factions within Solidarność, and so the organization really didn't survive the breakup of communism. Um, it, it, you know, the parties that developed, um, some of them were seen as post-Solidarność parties, but um, it, it really, as an organization ceased to exist in um, anything like the form it had in the 1980s. So the, the um, Poland, of course, ha, uh, was relatively prosperous after a few years of initial hardship after communism ended. But Poland was the first um, former communist country to return to its um, former standard of living and then far exceed it. Poland overall has done remarkably well economically over the last 30 years, even though polls would uh, take issue with that contention. It, it is true in a certainly a factual sense that Poland has done better economically than any other former Soviet bloc country except Estonia. So the, um, the but politically Poland has been quite increasingly polarized and some of it has to do with that split that involved Valencia. You know, clearly one of the reasons that um, Paczynski and Valentinovich held a grudge against Valencia after Poland, after communism broke apart is that they had found out, um, it's still not entirely clear how they did, but they had found out fairly early on about the files and on Valencia showing that he had been an informant in their 1970s and they were trying to use that to undermine him um, and the and in other ways um, there is now you know what I would describe Solidarność in the 1980s is still looked on very favorably in Poland but its legacy after communism really got quite tarnished by this fairly um, how should I put it, unpleasant political dispute that broke out within its ranks. And that's why nowadays, um, you know, Poland's party structure has become so polarized. Um, 
Yaroslav Kaczynski, who is lead, you know, who is uh, leader of Pravdivish. He is not prime minister, but he is the de facto leader of the country. Continues to see his mission as trying to expunge the, the legacy of Valencia and of others who took a more liberal position. And um, I, you know, he has gone about it in recent years in quite a disturbing way of trying to suppress certain important democratic institutions in Poland. And uh, I don't think his legacy in the long term will be looked on very favorably in that regard. His brother, I should note, who had been president of Poland, um, Lech Kaczynski, and in many ways was a more important uh, figure until he died tragically in an air crash in April 2010 en route to um, a memorial for the Katyn um, Forest Massacre, which I won't go into explaining what that was. But the, um, the, uh, th that event itself has been, again, one of the polarizing things in Poland, that how you assess that event has um, often been determined purely by partisan considerations rather than a deep consideration of the factual basis. I mean, it's pretty clear that the accident, the crash resulted from pilot error. Um, and that was determined very early on and nothing factually has emerged since then to change that judgment. But the, the piece, the, um, the Law and Justice Party that uh, Kaczynski is the head of, um, takes the position that it was a conspiracy by the Russian authorities and by um, what they regard as communist sympathizers in Poland to bring an end to the Kaczynski era. So it's, it's gotten um, mired in the, these really quite preposterous conspiracy theories. And that's the, these sorts of squabbles are the unfortunate um, way that the legacy of Solidarność now has unfortunately gotten tarnished. Nonetheless, I think for scholars and for historians, the period of Solidarność in Poland, especially in 1980 and 81, and again in 1989, will be looked on very favorably. I think so too. I mean, Solidarność did some great things for, for Poland and uh, it helped free it from a communist regime. So. What, what negative things can we really say about it at the end of the day? No, I think it, it made a, um, you know, Poland, Poland, the breakthrough of the formation of solidarity, and then again, the um, crucial role that Solidarność played in 1989 in, uh, in the roundtable talks and then in bringing a non-communist government to power in Poland, you know, really pushed the rest of the Soviet bloc along. Hungary was also carrying out far-reaching changes, so it was a combination of the um, in, you know, really unprecedented changes in Poland and then uh, far-reaching changes in Hungary that led that caused the rest of the Soviet bloc to crumble. And so, in that regard, I think Solidarność will. Uh, be looked on as having made a great contribution to human freedom and to Poland's freedom. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today.
and talking about Solidarność and how it changed and what life was like in Poland during the communist period and how that changed over time. And some of the key players that helped free Poland from such an oppressive regime. So thank you so much. Okay, very good. Nice to speak with you and I hope all goes well in Poland and keep your face mask on. Thank you. Thank <laughs> I you. refuse to wear one. but uh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Don't forget, you can become a patron of History Hack for as little as a dollar a month. Just go to www.historyhack.podbean.com. It will help us keep going in the aftermath of the coronavirus and we would really appreciate it as we would love to do so. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.